Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the Bat Around. Guys, take it away. And welcome aboard for this Saturday morning. I can't uh, hear. March the 23rd. <laughs> 2019, the bat around is on the air with yours truly, Stan the Fan, and the one and only Kenwood High grad, Craig Ice. What? <laughs> What'd you say? Exactly. How you doing, Craig? I'm good, pal. How are you? Good, good. And uh, we also thank our friend uh, Kyle Ottenheimer for sitting in uh, for Miss uh, Everett, who seems to have been get more gainfully employed. I love, I love Kyle, but he's no Brittany Everett. No. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. You could at least. I've heard the, that. <laughs> you could. You could put the blonde wig on to help us. A it little. doesn't yeah. fit very you know, well. I mean, really. Reason. Yeah. The voice uh, might be a dead giveaway. Well, though. yeah. <laughs> For sure. All right. Well, I've got my uh, baseball um, fantasy baseball league uh, auction tomorrow, and Kyle had his uh, this week Wednesday. How come you didn't come to me for help? Was it the argument we had on the air? The yeah, other that was day? it. I was feeling yeah. a little bit just uh, turned turned off about our whole relationship. It seemed to take a really hard right turn on uh, five words or less this past week. I'm not sure if we're going to recover. Yeah, it was ugly, man. Uh, how'd you do? First uh, of all, what's your team's name? That gives me an insight into. I have not come up with a clever team name yet. I have to still evaluate the roster. It only just got input, so I have to. I've okay. only just started digging in, but I think I did okay. How about, I think I'm going to have to make some changes. How about Ken Wood? There's so an idea. Good, there you go. It's, a, it's like a porn name. There's an idea. Ken Wood. I'll you know? I'll 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 keep digging around. All Something right. will come to me. I'm sure. You don't like. He didn't like Ken Wood. All right, I just let I just let that just sail by, right. you know, just, as you do most of right. the other thing. All right, we've got uh, an interesting show uh, today. We were going to have five guests, but my friend Bruce Posner, our friend Bruce Posner, who's down in Jacksonville, I went to text him to tell him what time we were calling, which was going to be eleven oh five, right? And he immediately called me back because I accidentally rang him. And I can't, lost my voice. So he's yeah. down there in Jacksonville. He's probably in press row, lo- lost his voice rooting for Maryland. Right. An hour, uh, four hours early. Right. Yeah. Uh, what time's Maryland uh, game? Noon. Tw- noon? noon. It's high noon. 12 right? 10, I believe, yeah. All right. So they're playing uh, LSU. Right. Down in Jacksonville. And if they win that one, they'll be in the Sweet 16 and would play at Capital One Arena next Friday night in D.C. Really? Yes. Okay. And who might the? I, I know well, you can't they, tell now, but what are the Michigan State? More than likely, more than I would likely think. Michigan yeah, State. would be the first, and if they would beat Michigan State, they'd probably run up against Duke. Heist uh, and 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 Kyle, uh, what's the story? Why is uh, LSU's coach on the sidelines, and are they? They're not missing the player, though. Correct. The players back playing. Yeah, they have a full team, a full squad. It's just a matter of their coach, I believe, was was knocked with some recruiting scandal Rec- violations. Yeah. I mean, they've been uh, they I mean, put together some gonna, good recruiting classes in recent he, years, but and their team not, has improved a lot. Like they got Ben Simmons, you know. Like you might have to turn an eye and be like, "How did that happen?" But yeah. at the same time, he also was 
and is given credit as being a very good X's and O's coach. So it's not as if the net result what is, is going his to name, be first of all. Will Wade. Will Wade, and he's been there just a couple of years, right? I believe Three, that's four the case, years. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he actually he, got a Mount St. Joe's kid, the, the incoming class. They have a Mount St. Halley-touted guard coming in from Mount St. Joe's. And he has he has absolutely no chance of coaching in this postseason? Correct. Okay. Does he have a chance to keep his job? I believe. Okay. I don't think it's going to be like – I mean, he's done a pretty good job at, in LSU. Aside no, from, there's no right. question they've done a good job. Yeah. But if he's had yeah. recruiting violations – so are these – is he suspended while he's appealing, or I'm a little confused? Uh, I'll look and see what all the right. official language that all they've right. used to apply to it all is, but uh, he is not going to be on the sideline. Right. I know that much. Anyway, Craig, who do you like in the game? Today, today I think Maryland can win the game. Uh, LSU is pretty athletic. They're long. However, I think Maryland can exploit that by running up and down the floor a little bit more than they did the other day. But, I mean, if they can get out and transition and, and do some things, I think they can exploit LSU. And, of course, a lot of it has to do with playing through Sticks and, uh, and Bruno, Bruno. Yeah. And, and seeing whether or not they can free. And the other thing that has to happen today, uh, um, to me, far and above anything else, Anthony Cowan has got to get his head out of his rear and can't go two for 17 and from the floor. Uh, that, and that he is help. officially suspended while he's being investigated. Okay, so so he hasn't been found guilty of the violations. Uh, it was, it, there was an FBI wiretap from 2017 <laughs> that implicated him, so it's not good. Yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. the player, Javante Smart, is reinstated and only missed one game. So they All have right. a full squad. They They're a talented a team as well. And do, do we know the name of who the assistant coach the is? Term, I can't say. Okay. All right. Uh, getting back to uh, the bat around today. Todd, yeah. Todd Karpovich going to join us. He covers the Orioles for, and you know, with our um, with our budgets, he did not do spring training this year. But Todd is excited uh, to get into the season as our beat writer. Todd Karpovich joins us at ten twenty. Mel Antonin will join us from Masson at ten forty five. Then Jim Henneman's going to join us. And uh, Craig, I'm not sure if you read, uh, and maybe during a commercial break you can peek at it. But Jim Henneman wrote a uh, terrific piece. Is this? Of course, these are both the, in the uh, issue with Joe Flacco on the cover. He mm-hmm. wrote a tremendous tribute piece uh, to Frank Robinson, and got so much response that this week he contacted Luke, our editor, Luke Jackson, and said, "Hey, I think it would make a neat article if I sent you some of these responses." So we did an online piece about the responses he got from people like Murray Cook and one of the old umpires who used to argue with Frank. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there were a few. <laughs> yeah. and, Doug Rader, and Doug Rader. We ought to get uh, Doug Rader on the show uh, if he's still alive. I don't know. No, I don't uh, believe he is. Do, do you think he passed away, I Doug Rader? I think he did. If yeah. I, re- I, I recall that. I, don't, I seem to recall it, but too. But I really, I really don't know for sure. But that was... Clearly, I think that may be one of the funniest highlights of our careers together uh, was something that Doug Rader said to uh, home plate umpire after the famous game. Was that in was that in uh, Memorial Stadium at, in '89? The 89, why not? Yeah, in, in Devereaux had wrapped a game-winning home run in extra innings around the left field foul pole. Right. Doug Rader did not think it was fair. Right. Argued vociferously. Oh, it took him about 15, 20 minutes to get off the field. This is at the end of the game. At the end of the game. At the end of the game. But the next night, 
uh, as they as they exchange lineup cards at the. Well, Doug Rader had written something on the lineup card uh, <laughs> that that you know implied the um something to the umpire. And can you umpire, explain that a little no, bit? No, not really. The the the, the umpire he, looked. Uh, he, put, he basically said at the lineup he, card, and he basically implied he go something to the effect like if you stop having oral sex with Frank Robinson. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, that's a good. Okay, you can put and that. He got, and he got thrown out before the before. Before, before the game even, started, right? Before they even exchanged the lineup well, card. Well, no, the umpire he handed, yeah, he handed the umpire the lineup <laughs> card. The umpire looked at it and he's <laughs> done. That is a classic. Yeah, that is great. a classic. Yeah. Um, I also remember Doug Rader. Do you remember, were you at the game? This must have been, it was also at Memorial Stadium. Must have been like 87 or 88. Ken Dixon, or maybe it was 90 or something. Got they two teams, the White Sox. He was, I think, he was managing the White Sox at that time. Doug Rader, and um, it had to be. As a matter of fact, it had to be. Uh, it might have been '91, the last year of the stadium, because he was no longer the manager of the Angels. He was with the White Sox, and um, the White Sox and the Orioles get into a knockout, dragout, uh, you know, real bad fight. And I remember Ken Dixon popping. Uh, Doug Rader, really hard, man. Mm-hmm. The rooster, as they called Doug Rader. Anyway, Jim Henneman's going to join us. That was a roundabout way of telling the Frank Robinson story. Jim Henneman's going to come in and talk a little bit about Frank Robinson and what that number 20 patch means that the Orioles are going to be wearing this year. And then we'll finish things off at 11.35 today with Bill Latson. Uh, of MLB.com, uh, who who texted me a couple of days ago and said, the Yankees are in real trouble and I blame you. Why okay, did he fine. blame you? What does he always to blame? Do? Whenever right. the Yankees mess up or do something wrong. But, I mean, they've got issues pitching-wise. you got CC Sabathia, who's, you know, coming off a, a knee surgery. And but, but i got to tell you, when you look at... And, and they're not going to have... Severino for a while. Right. But when you look at Luis Sessa, Domingo German, and Jonathan Loisega, how, what were they thinking in bringing uh, Sabathia back? I don't know. I, I, I seriously, don't know. it is really a. I don't know. And, they, and then, I mean, you know, to their credit, they went out and got Gio Gonzalez, so that'll help them. Right. Uh, your Doug Rader reference, uh, it was 1986. Okay. That's when he managed Which the, the White, White Sox. Sox. That's yeah. what year it was. Okay. Yeah. That was some nasty fight. I'll tell you. Is he still alive? Uh, yeah, I believe he is. Okay. Good. Good. We'll have to get Doug on the show sometime. I'm sure he'd love to come in and talk about talk, that. Talk about that message he wrote to, to the umpire. Do you remember who the home plate umpire I was? I do not. I do not. I could probably find out. We could definitely enough. find out. It was definitely in July because I was away on my summer vacation uh, when that happened. But that is a great, great story. All right. So Todd Karpovich, Mel that ejection. That ejection was almost as fast as when Earl and uh, Haller. No, no, no. Earl and who's the Kaiser? Ken Kaiser. Ken Kaiser got into it, and as soon as Earl turned his hat around, right, right, Kaiser. that's what. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't wait to hear what Earl had wait. to say. No. And those Earl, were some Earl, was the, Earl was the first guy to to do the turn in the cap. Yeah, those were some of the Earl's best ejections, yeah. though. Yeah. Was was when. 
he would, you know, yeah, because you know he's he's pointing it, he's pointing it at Kaiser, and Kaiser's pointing back at him, and then he pointed to his head and turned his cap around. <laughs> I used to love you knew the umpire was in for it when Earl spun the cap around. Yeah, and he got in a uh, Steve Palermo. Yeah, uh, was was one that got like right like this in Earl's face, you know, because Earl was and doing was this. It, was he the one that Earl grabbed his finger? Yeah, and pushed yeah, it yeah, away? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is that the one he eventually got, like, a five-game suspension I believe for? so, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I knew he was suspended yeah. for it. Boy, I love Stevie Palermo. Oh, yeah. He, he left us way too soon. Way too great soon. Um, great umpire. Was, was, great a, umpire. Was, was a great hero, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, taking on that gunman down in Texas. Texas yeah. yeah. You know, that was common of the umpires. They always liked to go out for a late-night meal. Sure. And here in Baltimore, they used to go to Sab's all the time. I actually got to know Steve Palermo very well at one time until the sh- until the shooting, and then I would correspond periodically with the wife, and then they, they were so besieged mm-hmm. with that outpouring of support, and his life changed so dramatically after that. I mean, he went on to uh, do broadcasting for a little while. A bit, he yeah. worked for the league for a little while, but he was one of the, the best young umpires in the game of baseball. Yes, he was. And... Uh, uh, sad to see him go so young. Um, so we're going to have Henneman. We're going to have Henneman and then Bill Latson. Now, Bill, we've been pretty public about the fact that Bill needs a kidney transplant. Right. Uh, you said that he's, and I'm, we'll talk to him about this on the air. I'm not trying to talk behind his back. He's going out to. Oh, the go ahead. Plant. I don't care. He's going. <laughs> He's going ahead. I'm sure he does. He doesn't blame you for his health yeah. condition. No, he doesn't. Only the Yankees. No, in fact, in fact, uh, when he first got diagnosed, uh, I turned him on to my doctor, who was Nationals team doctor, right? And just to get a second opinion, and uh, they pretty much verified what his initial uh, diagnosis was, and so. Uh, so he's been waiting, trying to get a, on the kidney transplant yeah. list for a number of years, and he's getting closer, I believe. Uh, well, let's hope so. Yeah. You know, but uh, he's uh, going to visit the Mayo Clinic this uh, week and okay. out in Minnesota, and uh, we'll see uh, what they have to say and uh, how he goes about whatever he's going to do from there on out. But I think let's hope this expedites things a little bit. All right. Let's hope so. And uh, we always wish the best for Bill Latson, no question about it, even though he is uh, a Yankees fan. A Yankees fan. Uh, Craig, uh, before we <laughs> grab Todd Karpovich in about five minutes, so uh, have you been able to glean much from the way the roster's being assembled right no, I was, now? I was a little surprised at the release of Eric Young Jr., and... Uh, you know, a lot of that has to do with obviously, you know, Chris Davis being at first base. So, you know, so, but one, I, I, one of the things, of, though, and I know I asked you the question, but one of the things is that Young was never on the forty man. He, Dwight right. Smith was when they acquired. Him. Exactly, but you know, the other part about this is, you know, a lot of fans out there are thinking what. You know, and and rightfully so that, you know, with the way Chris has been in spring training with the injury and then not producing so much at the plate, he's had a few hits here and there, he's had a home run. Uh, but they, they think that, you know, Chris is basically taking up a roster spot that, you know, and, and that's going to be the argument. And, and you could certainly make that argument. 
But with the contract being what it is, and if eventually we've talked about whether or not they wind up just eating the contract, it's possible that happens. But I don't think that's going to happen until June or early July. Yeah, I <clears throat> I would expedite that just a little bit. I think they've got the first 20 days of the season. They've got clearly that, that other roster spot taken up with Pedro Aruojo. Right. When he leaves the roster is when I think the the blank could hit the fan. If Chris is really struggling, I think what they do is probably platoon him, start playing Mancini at first mm-hmm. along with Chris, and, br- and possibly bring up maybe a Clark or um, um, DJ Stewart or Santander or Hayes. But the other part of that too is is what's the deal with Mark Trumbo and is he going to be ready? That's the other thing. Is, you know, is because he you, ready? Can, you can you know you can platoon Mancini and Davis and have Davis just do nothing but DH. Yeah, right. Uh, but but again, a lot of that is determined on whether or not Mark Trumbo is healthy. Does he start the season? Doesn't look like that's going to happen right now. Yep. So then you have to just ask yourself, how long is he going to be out? Right. So we'll see. It's uh, Some of that is, uh, by the way, Alcides Escobar released or opting out. Mm-hmm. I forgot which way it was. He, he opted out. He opted yeah. out. He quickly signed with the White Sox. But a minor league deal with the White Sox, and he's not going to play much there behind uh, Tim Anderson in that organization. And also Yoan Mankata third. Uh, Yomer Sanchez is the second baseman now, but they have a great young second baseman on the way up, Nick Madrigal, mm-hmm. uh, who I think played at Oregon State along with this catcher, uh, you know, that the uh, Orioles are attached to, you know. All right. We'll uh, see. But we'll see. Uh, again, uh, uh, it's interesting to see what the final – roster will be for this club going yeah. forward listen i've i've been putting as positive a spin as you can on this thing but i got to tell you something this week uh, i i got access to a one of these analytical websites that has has valuations of players okay let me give you the evaluation like chris sale for example this is for fantasy purposes chris sale is worth 46 dollars okay the well, that's not what he signed for. <laughs> right, exactly. He signed for a good bit more than that. Uh, but but to give you an idea where the Orioles... Now, let me give you the Indians. Kluber's worth 41. Carrasco's worth 39. Bauer, 29. Clevenger, 21. Bieber, 17. The Orioles. Bundy at 8. Alex Cobb, minus 3. I'll Kashner, take him. <laughs> Kashner, Minus 11. Then you get to Hess, minus like 6. Wright, minus 7. Rogers, minus 5. So anybody that's sort of saying, hey, I think the Orioles are going to somehow, they're going to piece this together. You don't piece together a season when you're pitching. But you don't, also, you don't also piece together uh, your rotation off s- fantasy stats either. Craig, fantasy stats are stats. That's what the. That's what the. Ex- no, how are they going to perform? That's the bottom line. And those numbers don't just come out. Uh, some geek did not just pull these numbers and go. Well, I we'll give Bundy a plus that. eight, and we'll give. It's their numbers. Your fantasy record as an owner 
Don't, just, don't just, bring that into seriously. It has nothing to do. Describe everything I need to, to know. Do. That has nothing to do with it because you can't predict injuries. Well, you're right. You okay. can't predict injuries and you can't predict how, how people are going to perform. Okay. Come on. I think you can predict how people ah, are okay, going to perform. Ah, okay. Good enough. Okay. All right. Yeah. Kyle, care to join in? Uh, I mean, people get paid to predict how people are going to perform. So, like, it's not as if there's nothing to it. There certainly is something to be said for players outperform or underperform uh, expectations often. But I agree for, with Sam that there's a baseline where sure there you're going to enter the season with expectations. But I'm like, just – I mean, look, I know you don't like fantasy baseball. I, do, I, I, and I don't – it's not that I don't like fantasy. You don't respect baby. it at all. You think I it's know, like some type of, uh, you know, but to say. I, I, but to you say, never said that. But to say. Well, you sure implied it. I never said fantasy that. Fantasy stats are fantasy The stats. only reason I don't play it, Stan, is because with everything else that I do in my career. Calm down. I don't have any time for it. All right. So don't sit there and put words in my mouth. Okay. But you did say fantasy stats are just fantasy stats. They are based on the real stats that these players accumulate. I'm not going to go out there and sit there and tell everybody that the Orioles aren't going to do well or not do well based on that. Okay. Well, they're just not going to do well because they're not that talented. They're not that talented, <laughs> right? Yeah. No, but that's the right. the point I'm making. The, but, the but area uh, that they, they are more, the area that they are so far behind contending teams is, and and I'll tell you what, seriously, the Orioles' combined rotation I did this yesterday is minus twenty nine. The Oakland A's, now keep in mind, they don't have Sean Manaya and they don't have this kid Lizardo now. They are, with Mike Fears, um, Fires, Fires yeah. Brett Anderson, you do pronounce names better than I do, uh-huh. Brett Anderson, uh, Estrada, they are minus 19. I think the actually, Tigers are minus 11. Do you have any idea what they were going into last year, Oakland? Yeah, but those guys weren't. They, they were not the starting rotation. They didn't have. They had Sean Manaya last year. Okay, but yeah. I'm just saying, as a whole, right? Heading into last year, what was their? I bet it was. I bet it was a baseline of about. I'm guessing about five plus. Okay. Okay. They out. There's no question. They outperformed as a team. My point exactly. Okay. All right. I would say that ultimately. Frankly, the sad part is the Orioles' pitching is maybe better than their 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 lineup. If you want to want to get into it, like they have two or three guys, Cobb, Cashner, who at least have established track records, yeah. as opposed to you know seven guys in their actual but lineup. If, who but I'm just, telling you, if you want to you want to pro- project when the Orioles will contend again, it's when you start seeing that the combined value of their starting pitching starting to be in the plus. 20s to plus 30s. You know, Boston combined, Craig, by the way, uh, sale is plus four, is 46, uh, Price is 21, Porcello is 15, uh, Rodriguez is 12, and who's their fifth starter? Evaldo's not, Evaldi is 9. So combined, they're like a plus 65, plus 70. To combine versus the Orioles, who are minus twenty nine. I'm That's certainly a not going to argue. Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, so the Orioles are just starting to rebuild. Yep. It's reasonable to think that none of these guys in the rotation right, right. now will be around when they're actually doing their. Correct. Job. And my point was to say that pe- people that say, "Hey, I think they can do a why not season," uh, they don't have the starting pitching. All right, joining us right now is Todd Karpovich, and Todd Karpovich joins us. He covers the Orioles for. A press box, among other things. 
Mr. Karpovich, how are you? Hey, Stan, how's it going? Thanks for having me on again. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. Uh, how are you? Um, how are you uh, perceiving the roster build? We dealt with it last week. They've done a couple things this week by releasing uh, Eric Young and also letting uh, Alcides Escobar opt out of his contract. Yeah, I guess um, looking back at what you put together this week, um, um, I think I think you, I think you're really, really close there, Stan, um, with what you had um, with the rotation. I think Mike Wright uh, pitched pretty good again yesterday, so I think he he's got a shot. At that other spot with David Heston in the final two spots, um, and you like uh, you like seven relievers. I think I went with eight, but I think um, seven might be the way to go if they think if they're, if they're pretty confident with that rotation. Um, and then uh, the infielders, um, as I pretty much said, you're you're higher on uh, Dwight Smith Jr. Correct? Yeah, I said that he would make the team. I based it on the fact he's a better defender than Eric Young. Yeah, and I think Eric Jones' release kind of opens the door. He, he's hit really well. Yeah, he uh, did hit. Training. He did hit well, and he'll probably get a minor league look. Brandon Hyde said he'd love to have him uh, in the minor leagues with the Orioles, but if he can get a better offer, uh, so be it. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and he he eventually could get an opportunity, you know, in Baltimore. So. It's possible um, he could be he could be a bridge early in the season if he went down to Norfolk and is playing well, and something ends up getting done with, with Chris Davis, either a DL spot or a buyout of some type or something, uh, or Mark Trumbo is hurt for any length of time, there's no, no question Eric Young could factor in as an Oriole before it's all said and done. Yeah, yes, it was Chris Davis. He's 4 for 27 with 15 strikeouts. Not very encouraging. Not very encouraging, and you wonder exactly what the work is that has been done in spring training uh, with a new hitting coach and and also, you know, some of the analytics that I'm sure they've applied to him trying to get this thing turned around. Yeah, I mean, you get a point where it's just not it's not repairable. You know, it's uh, well, I think they've missed. Look, I, do I know for a fact that he hasn't seen? sought the help of a sports psychologist. I don't know that for a fact, but to me, from the day that Chris Davis signed that contract and began to struggle the first year of the new contract and the advent of the heavy dosage of shifting, those two things combined to put an enormous pressure on this guy to live up to a contract. He's never done it uh, since he signed that contract, and to me, that you can... You can use all the analytics in the world or get a new batting coach and all that until you deal with what's what's in between his ears, what's driving that thing, you know. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's such a tough position because it's, that's, a, that's a lot of money to eat to decide to release him. It know? almost it's, reminds me, guys, of the – the the offensive player equivalent of to the yips to the, like to the yips what, and, and Ankill had you yeah, know we're all no of a sudden about it. I all, wrote that all years ago all of a sudden he can't find the plate yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. it's it's very sad to watch uh, because this guy was you know we can all we can all say wow what a mistake the Orioles made but there were an awful lot of us in this room that maybe we wouldn't have agreed with going seven years and one sixty one. But I certainly yeah, they, wouldn't have had a problem if they signed him for five years at 115. 
you know, I thought he was worth it. Did you, Craig? At oh, the absolutely. Time? And and you know, it's and and that was at a time where it wasn't just Chris Davis. It was J.J. Hardy. It was Adam. Uh, Adam. Uh, you, was, you know, and and a couple other guys who. You know, people would say, well, they're not going to spend the money because they're the Orioles and Peter Angelos owns them. Right. Uh, but so then they went out and spent the money. And, and they've gotten very and, little. And they've got return. very little in return. Well, from Davis in that end of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, they were sort of bidding against themselves, too, if I remember correctly, against Davis. Yeah, no, it was, a t- it, was, it was the only time. Look, Craig and I, I know, are on the same side of this. They botched up the Mucina thing, something awful. Uh, yeah. By by waiting as long as they did, this was the exact counter to that. Yep. They were bidding against themselves. I think Scott Boris and Chris Davis, when they got that first offer, they like both looked, they both like looked at each other and said, "Did this come from the Orioles?" Yeah. I mean, it was so out of <laughs> but, character. But you know, the other part about it too is they, you know, I think the Orioles, uh, in a lot of ways, in that situation, bid it against themselves. Yeah, that's what yeah. Todd just said. Yeah. 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 There's no question about it. There was there was really no mystery team or anything. I think Scott Boris did what he did and just bluffed a little. The amazing thing was, if I recall correctly, at those winter meetings, Craig, and that was the year they were in. Was it Orlando or Mi- Miami? I'm trying to I'm remember not sure. where they were. It wasn't. It wasn't the one down in. Um, it wasn't the one down in D.C. Harbor. No, no. Yeah, that was, was that the was, year before yeah, that. Yeah, that was two years ago. It was the year before that. Yeah. But remember, they first threw out like 100. I think they were in Louis, uh, Nashville. Nashville. That's okay. where they were. I think they threw out like seven years at 148 or something, and they kind of balked on it and said, well, we'll think about it. And the Orioles took the offer off the table, and then two or three days later, they announced the signing at 161. The Orioles actually threw in, because of Davis's acceptance of the deferrals, the Orioles made it like 161 from like 148 or something like that. Right, and, you yeah. know, I, I always think back to the playoff series against the Royals in when the ALCS play, right? where, where, where he couldn't play but because he was suspended but could have played had they made the World Series starting in Game right. 2. Right. So and so he they went the whole you know the pretty much the whole month of September, of September and then in throughout the postseason with, without him and uh, you, you know you just talk about no return for your <laughs> well, for your investment well, when, when, in, fair, in fairness him, obviously you know whatever he got you know but if he's doing it, to get suspended in so fairness in fairness to Chris though. With the free eight, the next year was his free agent season, mm-hmm. and he went back on a drug sort of like Adderall. He got permission and all that, and he put up the numbers with with free agency staring him right in the eye. He put up big numbers, and as if to say, that was a whole fluke, you know. Last year, I'm okay as long as I take this, uh, you know, this drug that's for ADD, you know. Yeah. Um. What else is going on in your estimation? How, what do you make of um, the Orioles' uh, starting rotation right now and, and the bullpen? Where do you think – who's going to make both of those? Well, like you said, I think, you know, obviously Cobb, Cash, and Bundy are locks. Right. David Hess has made a good case, and then Mike Wright's made a good case. I thought Rogers had a pretty good shot, but like Craig said uh, two weeks ago, they have, they have some time in the beginning of the season to, to really – be patient with that fourth and fifth, that fourth and fifth spot. So, yes, yes. Uh, 
I think they'd be. I think they'd be smarter to have Rodgers go down, stretch out down there, and be the guy. If there's an injury or a poor performance on the major league level, he gives you an option to pull from, and that could be, frankly, that could be as soon as. Uh, Aruojo goes down. It could be a simple exchange of Josh Rogers for that for that spot. Yeah, the seventeen days. Yeah, has to be on the roster. Yeah. They're, they're going to do that. I can't see him not doing that. Yeah, I, I listen. Listen, I think uh, Aruojo, of all the people that um, Dan Duquette picked over his seven years here, uh, I think Aruojo probably by far the best arm that he picked up in any of those. You know, in yeah, any I of those agree. Rule 5 guys. And I sort of agree with you, Stan, with the last spot in that bullpen between Tanner Scott, Yucca Bonus, and Evan Phillips. That's going to be – that again, again, they got some flexibility there, I think. Yeah. Um, with some of these guys with their options. I mean, listen, I think they'd like Tanner Scott to, get, to take the position and seize it. He hasn't shown the ability this spring to throw strikes at the level that I'm sure Brandon Hyde and Doug Burkow want. And, again – He's not a guy that spent like like Austin Hayes. Uh, this is about this is not personal. It's not about the money at this point with Tanner Scott. It's about developing a player and finishing off the development. And I don't think he spent very much time, if at all, at the AAA level, did he? And that's what he said about Hayes too. He just uh, high came out and said he just needs more time, more yeah. seasoning with some minor leagues. He can't yeah. just skip around. So. Yeah. Well, he never but, batted. He never had an at bat at AAA. And I don't no. think Tanner Scott did. Tanner Scott pitch at Triple A? I, I do not was, believe so. I think he came he right up Bowie, from right? Bowie. I think. Yeah, I'll look that up. Yeah. Uh, are you excited with all that's going on and what we think the team will be like? Are you excited about the start of the season? Yeah, I am. You know, it's baseball season, like you said. The team you just can't expect them to really—they're not going to have a why not year. You know, that's just not going to happen. Not not with not with the division they're in, um, and you know, it's kind of tough to start the season off against the Yankees. You know who clearly have World Series aspirations. Um, you know you don't want to go up there and get your you know get your butt kicked in the first series of the season. But I think it's you know this is a young team, it's going to be a fun team to watch. Um, it's going to be interesting. You know, see how Brandon Hyde, how his personality emerges on the bench. It's going to be interesting. I think Mike Mike Elias is going to be transparent. Which is going to be this is going to be great, you know. I think he's going to be open about what's happening with the team, and then of course, following his analytics, you know, how how big a difference is it going to be with some of these players? Because you know, you know, we compare numbers, you know, with a lot of these guys from last year and this year. So there's a lot going on, and it's going to be it's going to be fun watching this club evolve. I think I really do. Um, I I agree. You know, I mean, look, listen, the win column is not, you know, as Joe Angel would say, there aren't going to be an incredible amount of nights that you can put this one in the win column, but I think you can put it in the D column, the development column, uh, all season long, and I think it's, uh, you know, it's one of the parts of a, a rebuild that fans, they shouldn't just check out for three years and then come back when the team's good. Uh, they should sort of buy into it and be a part of it because it can be a lot of fun rebuilding. It, it's sort of the first rebuild this team's really had. I mean, it's been it's been band aids and you know yes, it has. trying to kind of add a few pieces here and there. This is really the first time in a long time they've actually torn it down and they're, they're going to build from the ground up. I think um, it's the first time. It's really funny you mentioned that, and I said this the other day. I think it's really the first time in the club's history that management and ownership are on the same page 
uh, as to rebuilding from, from the ground up. They've always mm -hmm. tried to, it was like Edward Bennett Williams in 1987 was a time for a rebuild. He went out and spent money on Fred Lynn, Don Ossie, and Lee Lacey. How did that yeah. turn out? Yeah. Not so good, you know. Um, yeah. The only team that they kind of built, uh, you know, in midstream was the 96-97 team. When Pat Gillick came in, there was enough that, that had been developed in the early 90s, despite the horrible year with Phil Regan in 95. There was enough there that they added B.J., Randy Myers, uh, Roberto Alomar, and I think there was one other significant uh, guy that they, in 97, I know they added Jimmy Key, but there was enough there um, in, in the cupboard uh, to, to quickly do a rebuild on the run, if you will, and that's yeah. what the 96 and 97 teams were about. Well, and then the uh, Orioles don't have the deep pockets anymore like they used to. They're the team that it. You know, they can't just they can't just throw money at players anymore. They're you know they're a mid market team now. They they have to do it. They have to do it organically. You know, and it's sort of weird because it sort of parallels. You know, the Ravens are the Ravens putting band aids on things now. You know, they they signed Earl Thomas and Mark Ingram, but the are they going to be able to compete with what with the roster they, that young roster they have now? Yeah, that's going to be you know they, I don't want to. Uh, well, uh, digress too much here, but it, it's sort of, you know, the, the, the two franchises are kind of sort of in a, a similar situation. Well, it's funny with the, with the Ravens, as much as, as much as the attention has been on Lamar Jackson and w the dynamic that he brings, it looks, sure looks to me like they're, they're saying, hey, Lamar's going to do what Lamar's going to do. It's really not going to be hugely different if we surround him with the best receiver in the world, if he can't get the ball to him, let's improve the defense more and more, and we'll play that game where we're going to possess the ball longer. You know, I think there's a method to that. Um, while I understand your analogy to what the, a rebuild, uh, on the, or a, a not a total rebuild, a Band-Aid approach, I think that they're trying to put that defense back together again as quickly as possible. Yeah, they got to get some pat. I mean, they, they have a really good secondary, but that secondary is—they're gonna—they can have a great secondary if you don't have a pass rush. It's not gonna matter. Yeah, you know? they definitely um, have to add a pass rusher through the draft. I would think. And getting back to the Orioles too, the, the trade deadline is going to be very interesting with this team to see what they do and if if, if you know Cashner Cobb. I don't know if I don't know if they trade Bundy. I really don't. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what they kind of let go at the trade deadline if guys are performing and what they get back. I'll tell okay. you what else will be interesting is whether or not, you know, suppose this team is competitive and they're hovering around 500 or doing whatever uh, and, and how that would play into when it gets time in July to be thinking about trade deadline and and how they would handle that if this team is competitive because – if they're competitive, that means guys that are on this team are performing at a fairly high level. Yeah, really, that would really put a neat dynamic into the season. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I think these guys, I think these guys are are cold-blooded killers, Elias and Sigmadol, and I think they they would see through that and know that they're the biggest value that they could give the Orioles would be to perform well and trade all three of them. Yeah, I don't think it's easy from a strategy because at the end of the day, they're not going to win the World Series. Correct. You know, so yeah, I think we can all agree on that. 
Hey, Todd, we will talk to you in a couple weeks once the season's underway. I booked uh, our friend Andrew Stetka next week, so uh, enjoy your Saturday next week. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. All right, buddy. Awesome. Thank you. going down Tuesday for the workout? Uh, I'm going to try. Is it Tuesday or Wednesday? Uh, Tuesday. Tuesday. It is yeah, it's Tuesday. Tuesday. Yeah, I'm going to get yeah. there. I'll get there. I'll All right, bud. There. I'll talk All to right, you soon. Thanks. Okay. All right, there you have it. Uh, Craig, it's time for our first break of the show, and uh, let's uh, talk about one thing that you and I can fight like cats and dogs, right, on politics or sports. But I think one thing we can agree on is the Costa Sin. Yeah, especially when you're not there. <laughs> you love it when I, I love it. You when walk you're not in the there. door and go, stand Take here. Around. Stand here now. <laughs> ah, Costa Sin, 4100 North Point Boulevard, the best crab cakes in town. Steamed crabs, specials on the menu. Crab soup. Crab soup, either Maryland crab or cream, cream of crab. Cream of crab, yeah. Uh, and my wife likes to mix them. Have oh, you ever okay. done that? No, I have not. Okay. I have not. Doesn't sound in- enjoyable to me. Well, <laughs> I know. But <laughs> she I loves what, it. She their, loves cr- it. their cream of crab soup is probably yeah. some of the best you're going to find around. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Monday night, crab cake night, and that is the Tuesday special. Tuesday night is rib night. That's right. Wednesday is steak night. It's my favorite. Thursday, lobster. Jane's favorite. You can get that either plain or stuffed with the crab imperial. And uh, many, many specials on the menu throughout the week at the Costa Sin. Live entertainment, jazz night on Wednesday, uh, good rock and roll on Friday and Saturday, uh, 4100 North Point Boulevard. Did they have a good crowd there for the basketball thing the other uh, night? I bet they did. From what I can hear or yeah. see on Facebook, yeah. I'm just curious. Nick is, like, really good friends with you and I, and he gets Jeremy Kahn to host. You, yeah. What's that about? I have no idea. Yeah. Why didn't he pick well, he us? Knew, he knew I was working, so okay. I told him because they asked me if I was coming by, and I said... They didn't ask I, me. They I, didn't mention anything well, to me. Well, you know, it yeah. is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we love the Costas in 4100 North Point Boulevard. Maryland, it's the craziest time of year for college basketball, so don't miss a minute of the madness. Fridays through Sundays in March, watch your favorite teams compete for a spot in the championship on 74 feet of HD LED screens in the Sportsbook and Sports Bar at Laurel Park. With food and drink specials during games and thrilling live thoroughbred racing Friday through Sunday, there's no better place to indulge in the madness. Visit Facebook.com slash Laurel Park for details. We'll see you there. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Stan the Fan Charles sits down with new Orioles general manager Mike Elias to discuss the plan for guiding the franchise back to prominence. Plus, Hopkins legend Paul Rabel details his vision for how the PLL can be a game changer for pro lacrosse. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. One third of crash fatalities in Maryland are due to impaired driving. Don't be a statistic. Be legendary. What does it mean to be legendary? It means always making a plan to choose a sober driver or be one. Never drinking then getting behind the wheel. Making sure to get a ride for yourself and your friends if needed. Always speaking up and taking the keys from an impaired driver. Remember, sober drivers save lives. This safety message is brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation. Visit BeLegendaryMD.com 
Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square is very, very popular, as you've undoubtedly noticed if you've been there recently. Want to skip the lines completely? Download the Chick-fil-A app, and your food will be ready when you get there, but not a minute sooner. Your hot, fresh waffle fries, fresh, never-frozen chicken, and ice-cold drinks will be delivered to you when you get there. They'll bring it out to your car, or you can come in and get it without standing in line. Plus, ordering through the Chick-fil-A app earns you reward points that will add up to free stuff. And the app remembers what you like. So if you like extra pickles, then the app remembers. If you prefer less ice in your drink, the app remembers. Anytime you customize your order, the Chick-fil-A app will file it away and remember for your next visit. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard. If you need help downloading the app, ask the Nottingham Square store owner, Steve. Steve can do anything. Chick-fil-A, get the app, skip the lines. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. This is former Chirp AJ Francis, just here to let you know that I am a huge wrestling fan. I know you are too. And there's a lot of stupid idiots out there that ruin the wrestling podcast experience for everyone else. Hey, Aaron Oster from I the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone. I don't understand why people would ever cheer for Roman Reigns. He's awful. I'm sick of it. Boo! Boo Roman Reigns! Never wrestled for Ring of Honor. Never wrestled for PWG. Never wrestled uh, in Japan. He is no Kenny Omega. Too sweet me, bro. I hate both of you. And this is why I keep stupid idiots like you on my list. This is your boy, Y2AJ, here to save you. Find Jobbing Out, the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com on SoundCloud or iTunes. And welcome back to the Battle Round. Craig Heist, along with Stan the Fan, and uh, the Orioles. Hey, you know, we're five days away from opening day. Does it feel funny that opening day is on the road, and especially in New York? Well, yeah, probably a little bit, but uh, yeah, usually, and this only happened last year. That was the only time it happened where both teams opened at home on the same day, Nats and uh, the Orioles and this at happened? home. Okay, so this year it's uh, are the are the Nats the, are at home against okay. the Mets on opening be, on, on, on opening day, game. right? And that'll be Scherzer against Degrom. So that's wow. a good way to that's, a good, that's way to, a good way to kick it off. And then uh, the Orioles against the Yankees up in New York. Sounds good. And it's going to be Tanaka against uh, Mr. Cobb. Yep. And we we hope that Cobb uh, and his ranking by the uh, stat folks had a lot lot more to do with the fact that he missed spring training last year and didn't. Uh, that was a. I just I hated the way they rushed him to get like sort of like right. you know. Of course, when you're when you're like hanging there thinking you got a chance to contend. They wanted to rush the process along, and everything they did right. didn't work out last year. All right, joining us right now is somebody who uh, I've appreciated from afar, and now that I'm working with him on a somewhat regular basis over there at Masson uh, on the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report, gotten to know him a lot better, respect him a great deal. It's Mel Anton, and Mel, how are you? Stan, that's quite an introduction. I thought you were going to say, no, I've got to know him. I wish I had. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's Craig Hyde. Thank yeah. you for that. No, we we have fun. We have fun on the on the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report. Yeah, so we, don't know, we don't always agree on things, but we can uh, debate things civilly, unlike Craig Heist and I. 
know. Yeah, well, I, Craig, yeah, Craig's a little more difficult. I can see that. No question about that. Yeah. You and I are respectful. And just get the ideas out and let the let the listeners decide. But Craig's a little harder. I understand that. Yeah, yeah well. Yeah, all right. Craig, I'm just kidding. I know that, Mel. <laughs> Let's. Uh, <laughs> How you doing, pal? <laughs> doing well. Uh, let me ask you a question real quick, and that's I got to do. Uh, and and I know Stan has a lot of Oriole questions for you, but f- from the Nationals' point of view, we were just mentioning that opening day uh, pitching matchup. And you, you look at Scherzer yesterday in his final tune-up. He strikes out 12. He gave up three runs over seven innings. But, uh, you know, he hasn't had the best of springs. The ERA is in the mid-fours. But I think a lot of that was just kind of working on things and, and kind of fine-tuning the, the repertoire, if you will. And uh, if, if you think about what he's done over the past, do you see, and at 34 now, uh, are are you waiting to see maybe a little bit of a decline or not? Yeah, it could happen. I mean, it wouldn't be unusual for a 34-year-old pitcher to have a step back a little bit, but he's been so good for so long, and even a, a step back of some degree. <laughs> for him, it's still pretty good. One of the best, <laughs> yeah, he'd still be one of the best pitchers in the league. But, yeah, I mean, you can make the case that he's going to be good for the next three or four years, but if he takes a step back, it wouldn't be – it wouldn't be that surprising because it doesn't matter how good you are, age catches up with you. Mm. Uh, just news out of the uh, New York Mets camp. Uh, I mean, it's not grave news or anything like this, but six pretty well-known veteran players have been told they are not making the Mets. Carlos Gomez, Adani Echeverria, thank you for the pronunciation lessons, uh, Craig. Raja Davis, Hector Santiago, Ryan O'Rourke, and Devin Mesoraco. Rajay. Rajay Davis. There you go. <laughs> Devin, did I do Devin Mesoraco? Yes, okay. you did. You're right, right there. Yeah. Uh, that's a that's a nice chunk of uh, baseball experience, told that uh, they are not going to make the team. Mel? Yeah, they, they're they a little bit of, you know, you got, they've, they've got experienced players and they've got young players. They're doing a little bit of both. They're trying to build, they're trying to contend. With a with a team that blends young and old, but all those guys, I think you can make the case that everybody on the Mets roster is better. I mean, they've got young guys at first base. Uh, they've got a good young shortstop. Uh, I, 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 none of those none of those guys uh, being left off the roster shocked me. No, doesn't shock me. But I would assume that a, a Danny Echeverria will get a job somewhere. He's an awfully good glove. Well, you would think so. You know, we talk about that. Um, on Masson, that boy, you know, if when the Orioles were starting their off season, if you need a strong defensive shortstop, Hetchaveria would be a good way to go. He doesn't hit all that well, but given that the Orioles are a rebuilding team, a defensive shortstop is a good is is um, is a good idea. The Orioles have defensive shortstop, just not Hetchaveria, but I think he's going to get picked up somewhere. I think he's getting to the point in his career, though where he's going to be more of a utility player than anything, because he doesn't hit all that well. So I remember that was about five or six weeks ago, just as spring training was starting, when we signed Alcides Escobar to a minor league contract. It was $750,000, and I remember saying at the time, boy, I really wish they had gotten Echeverria, but Echeverria's deal was $3 million. How does that work when a guy gets cut like that? It's understood in the contract. What is the, the, the sort of the, the standard buyout in those, Mel? 
I don't know what the standard buyout is at. That's that's a good comparison. That's an interesting uh, that's an interesting parallel. But I don't know the background and what happened with that or why that would be. But Echevarria is a very strong defensive player, and I guess people thought that that uh, that you know he that he's he's much better than uh, Escobar at that case. I mean, the market is so hard to predict and, and hard to judge. I don't really know why, Stan. I can't answer that. Uh, we're not asked this question an awful lot, and, it, and we've been asked it this morning. We've been posed a question about what the Orioles could possibly do with uh, number 19 over at first base. He's, I think, 4 for 28 down in uh, spring training, struck out 15 times. Uh, it looks like more of the same right now. Now, normally, if you weren't basing it on the last three years, you'd say, ah, those are just – Spring training numbers. As soon as the bell rings or the regular season, we'll get we'll get back to what he really is. What if he really is just this bad now, Mel? <laughs> um, what do you think the club's options are surrounding Chris? I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't know because I would think if it, if the contract were a little less, it's what ninety two million now at this point. Yep. Uh, they would just release him and eat it. But boy, I've never seen a team eat a ninety million dollar. Uh, a contract. Uh, I think eating the, if, if, if Chris Davis plays in the first two months, like he played all of last year and at the beginning of spring training, uh, ideally it would be say, it would be time to say it's, 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 it's time to let him go. But I don't know how that contract affects Orioles management, what they're thinking about that. Cause that's an awful lot of money from a baseball standpoint. And I'm sure you guys agree with me. It would be the right thing to do if Chris Davis doesn't perform. But boy, that money thing! I can't think of any precedent that didn't the Phillies would... didn't the Phillies take. I mean, it probably wasn't ninety-one, but the Phillies probably owed Ryan Howard probably sixty sixty million yeah. when they let him go. That's a good point. That, it, that might be the. Here's my positive spin on it, on what it would do for the team, unless Chris says. I mean, and again. We're talking, uh, this is not going to happen next week or in th- two or three weeks, but if it's June and we're at the same loggerheads with his performance and the development of the team, wouldn't you think that the discussions with the lawyers would be something like this, Mel? Hey, this just isn't working out. Uh, we we know we owe you the $91 million. What about if we work work with you in figuring out how to pay this over the, you know, 20 years or something like that, where all of a sudden the Orioles are paying the Davis family $4 million a year instead of $20 million a year. It actually could, in a, in a weird way, don't get me wrong, they still would owe him the money, it would still be a dead contract, but it would allow maybe some more flexibility on the major league roster as yeah. this rebuild moves forward. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Uh, I think that would work. I don't know if Chris Davis would be interested in that, but that's some way that if he indeed looks as bad as he's looked by the end of June, uh, that would be um, that would be something that would gain Chris Davis a certain amount of credibility or integrity. But if he continues to do this, in a re- you know, it's it's one thing when a team is trying to contend in your first baseman. He's not hitting and you're struggling. That's one thing. But it's another thing when you're trying to rebuild, you know, nobody wants you around, especially if you're not hitting. Uh, maybe a contract 
you know, figuring out new ways to pay the contracts would be the way to go. But it, it's it's a it's a tough call. I don't know which way they're going to go. But I think to answer your question, I think that would be a legitimate. Uh, that could be a possibility. Do you What's see any? Do you see any way that he gets turned around to the point where he's productive again? And I, I'm not talking about. We've seen him go, you know, 53 homers, 47 homers, that kind of thing. But just to be we're talking about like 18. And we're, 50 you know, now. we're talking about 18 to 20 home runs, and you know, where he can be a, a, a positive force in this lineup. Um. Yeah, I see that, but it feels like he is so stressed out and so um, so tense, so trying to prove himself. I think it's going to be hard to do. Obviously, forty to fifty home runs is probably out of the question, but fifteen to eighteen, you know, Mike Elias has tried a lot of different things as far as uh, analytics and all kinds of data information and what he's swinging at, what he isn't swinging at. He hasn't been seeing the ball very well, according to Dave Johnson, our. Uh, yeah, or a colleague on Masson. Um, yes, I suppose it could happen, but I think the number one thing that's got to happen before any of that can take place is the fact that he has to clear his head. I can't imagine what's going through his mind. But, yeah, I mean, it might be the case that he leaves the Orioles and goes someplace else and it's 18 to 20 home runs. I, I just can't imagine how tightly wound he is and how concerned he is about it because you know, well, Chris, nobody feels worse than Chris Davis. Well, I write... For, for press box, and I wrote about two years ago that the thing seemed to me to be the equivalent, the offensive equivalent. We don't have many cases that we can point to, but and Craig brought it up today. It reminds us of like Steve Sachs when he couldn't throw the ball to to first base. Chuck Knobloch. Chuck Knobloch or Steve Blass or Rick Ankale couldn't find home plate. It's yeah. all between the ears. And yet, I don't hear, and I and I'm not saying I need to hear this, but do you think they've exhausted the idea of hey, maybe if you sat down with a sports psychologist to just talk about it and work through the stress? It seemed like they did that a little bit last year when they had him take eight or nine days off and work with Brady Anderson. It seemed a little like that, but it wasn't still. Uh, dealing with what I think is the root cause of this, it's something psychological. Yeah, I think so. I'm sure they've thought about that. I'm sure they've talked about that. Uh, I think it's a legitimate uh, avenue to to go down. Uh, you know, I think Chris came into spring training feeling good about what he had done in the offseason to, uh, to tackle the problem, but so far it hasn't worked, and and who knows what's going to happen when the season kicks in? And maybe he, maybe he, you know, maybe he, maybe he turns it around. But it, it sure doesn't look like that's going to happen now. And you think back to that. What was it? Twenty seventeen. He took seventy five called third strikes. Yeah, yeah, yeah unbelievable. He, 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 not seeing the ball, not swinging the ball. Even if he just swings at strikes, that seems like that would be a good thing to do. Uh, we're about a week away now. Five days actually from the start of the season. Uh, throughout spring training, what's one of the more intriguing things you're looking at for 2019 here? Oh, I think uh, I think uh, the most intriguing story. One of the most intriguing stories is how people are starting to pick the Minnesota Twins to beat the Cleveland Indians. Mm-hmm. Really? Uh, okay. Well, yeah. I mean, they've added about 90 home runs to their offense. The Twins with Jonathan Scope, C.J. Crone, and Nelson Cruz. 
whether they're going to hit them or not, I don't know. But they've added a lot to their offense. They're both kind of strong. Their defense is way above average, particularly up the middle now that they've added scope at second. To me, that's an interesting story because Cleveland is automatically, everybody's thinking they're going to win the American League Central because of their starting staff. But Cleveland lost virtually half of their lineup. Their bullpen is a lot weaker. I think if there was ever a team that was due for a regression, it's, uh, it's, it's the Indians. But I think, I think the Twins in another week or so are going to be a very trendy pick. I see Sports Illustrated just pick them to win now. And I think that's I think that's interesting because because of how good Cleveland's been in the last four or five years. Mel, what do you make? And I'm asking this partly because my fantasy baseball draft is tomorrow. Uh, Francisco Lindor. It's been announced that he's neither he or uh, Kipnis is going to play opening day. But what do you make of the kind of injury he had? It seems like all systems are go, but that is an injury that is kind of scary, isn't it? Yeah, it's scary. It sounds like he's making good progress from everything I've heard and read. And I think the Indians are playing it safe. It doesn't really matter if he's ready on opening day. They'd rather have him strong, you know, from whenever he, whenever he's ready to, from whenever he comes back to, to the end of the season. So I think they're taking their time on it. The injury is... is um, it's, a t- it's a calf. It's a calf muscle. Yeah, it's a calf right? injury. It's a, they keep saying it's a slight strain of the calf. But, boy, it's kept him out a long time. It's caused a lot of headaches. But I would say that I think the Indians are just being overly cautious, realizing that whether he plays in the first two weeks of the season or not isn't going to be that big a deal. They'd rather have him strong for the rest of the season, even if he has to miss 10 days. Now, speaking of the Indians, though, we all know Kluber, we all know Carlos Carrasco, and we all know Trevor Bauer. A lot of us know Mike Clevenger now based on his great success the last season and a half. But this guy Shane Bieber, um, a lot of people are saying he's their best pitching prospect in the organization. He was pretty much lights out the last six, eight weeks of the season, wasn't he? Yeah, he really was. He came on very strong. He kind of came out of nowhere. He's got breaking pitches. He's got good poise. He's... um He's just very strong. I, I'm trying to think. I don't remember what his record was off the top of my head last year, but he did pitch very well. And, um, you know, he developed very, very quickly. And um, he's an awfully good pitcher. Last year, just to give you an idea of what he did last year, he was 11 and 5 with the Indians, so it was longer than I had assumed. Uh, he was 11 and five. He had a 4.55 ERA in 114 innings. He had 118 strikeouts, and his WHIP was 1.33. Yeah, yeah. 114 innings is what he pitched. Yep. So it'll be interesting to see how the Indians go about that. Um, uh, how, go about how many innings they they uh, uh, they extend him. Probably another 30 or 40 innings. So he's he's an awfully good pitcher and. Um, Won 11 games, finished second in strikeouts among the American League and rookies last year. So he's he's the real deal. I mean, the Indians' rotation is very strong and uh, one of the best in baseball. Uh, last year they had all those 200 strikeout guys, and uh, it could happen again this year. Is the National League East the best division in baseball as you head into this season? Yeah, it is because of their pitching and because of their youth. I mean, uh, everybody's comparing the National League Central and the National League East as far as being the two best divisions in yeah. baseball. But because guys like John Lester and Cole Hamels are 35 and maybe Lester's 34, and because and and because 
the Cardinals aren't the Cardinals are coming off a tough season, and, and the Reds aren't as strong as everybody thinks. I think I think the National League East has got the strongest division, given Atlanta's pitching. Philadelphia's pitching can be strong. We don't know if it's going to be or not, but the Mets and the Nats are pretty hard to argue with. So I think given age and more prime players, I'll take the National League East. What are you hearing on Gosman and his shoulders uh, situation? Well, not really too much outside of the Braves are being very, very cautious. It's a, you know, they've got Fulton every time the disabled list, and uh, they think that Gosman's going to come back and be strong, but it's, it's a little, you know, it's not a good idea. That's what a, good for the, for the Braves. Mel, one last question before we let you go, and we do appreciate it. We're talking with Mel Antonin of Masson Sports uh, and MassonSports.com. He writes regularly and appears on the Mid-Atlantic Sports Report almost a nightly basis. Mel, the New York Yankees, they don't have the, the huge name starter, you know, such as Kluber or Chris Sale uh, or, or, you know, Kershaw in his prime. But they have a threesome up top of of Severino, who's who could be out six, eight, nine weeks. Uh, Severino, Tanaka, uh, Paxton, and Hap. It's a pretty good quartet. That fourth rotation spot, though, they invited CC Sabathia uh, back. Um, I questioned it at the time. He's not going to make opening day. He's going to be on the injured list. Um, how do you think? And I, we all know that they just signed Gio to a minor league contract late last week. Uh, but what do you think they do to get by the first month or so of this season with only three healthy starters with Severino and Sabathia? Is Sessa going to be part of the rotation? German and uh, Loisiga? Yeah, those are the guys. Sessa, German. Those guys pitched well at times last year. Sessa and, and German did. Yeah, uh, they pitched all right, uh, but they are the insurance policies at this point. Severino, as you said, might not be back till at least May in the earliest. Paxton's had a great spring. Tanaka is indestructible. Since mm-hmm. uh, Sabathia starts the season on the suspended list, then when he gets back, he's start, you know he's injured, so right. they might not have him back till mid-April, and so they're just going to have to tread water with those two young kids until those guys come back. But even though CC comes back, he's at 30 rooms and just don't know what they're going to get. So they got a bunch of soft-tossing lefties when you think about Hap and Sabathia and then to a certain degree Paxton. And then if Gio joins the rotation, Gio will give them durability. He's always good for 27. I mean, in like the last six or seven years, the fewest starts he's ever had in a season is 27. He usually gives you 30 or 32 starts, but obviously because he's signed late, he's not going to be able to to pitch an entire season, but he can help them. As Craig knows and seen him as much as I have and probably more, he can be really good one inning, and then he can be really shaky the next, and then he can be really good the next inning. You just never know what you're going to get with CC Sabathia or with Phil uh, mm. Gonzalez. All right. Mel Anton, we appreciate your being on, and uh, good luck this season. Have a great season on Masson and writing for MassonSports.com. All right, guys. Thanks. Thank you, Mel. All right. There you have Mel Antonin. Of Masson, a lot of interesting stuff there. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I totally agree with him on the. Uh, <clears throat> pardon me, the uh, National League East. I just think there there's four teams there, depending on health, that could win that division. And I'm not suggesting they're going to be a surprise contender, but uh, I was listening to Jim Bowden the other day, and I know you follow him much closer. 
the Marlins are going to pitch well. Yeah, you would think so. Yeah, and which uh, makes them difficult to play. They're not going to win eighty games. They might win seventy games. They yeah. might win sixty-five. But on a nightly basis, you're going to struggle to beat them a little bit. You will, and you know a lot of that's the guy. That you man- will beat them, but yeah, but a lot of that's the guy that manages them, yeah. who expects a lot out of his players yeah. and played the game the right way and. You know, I think he's done with what they've had to work with. I think, and and you think about the tragedy of a couple of years ago, Jose Fernandez. Fernandez, uh, I think Don Mattingly's done a great job of keeping that that ship afloat. It'll be interesting. You know, he he doesn't have a direct connection. In other words, they didn't play together with the Yankees, different generation. But you wonder if that relationship of both being ex-Yankees, Derek Jeter. And Don Mattingly is going to factor into their decision because this is his walk year or, you know, it's the last right. year of his contract. Would you think that he gets like a two-year extension? I, I think he might, and, and I, I don't think that's a bad idea. But, again, too, I think a lot of this depends on how they do this year. And what I mean by that is not necessarily wins, losses, but effort, who's producing, yep. that kind of thing. You know, it, it does – Harken back though, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, Mattingly walked away from the Dodgers because he wasn't fully committed to, correct? Or I know I don't think they were fully committed to him. That's what I mean. Yeah, they yeah, weren't exactly. committed to him. Right. So a two year, he might be looking for. Hey, if you want me in on this thing, give me five years. Right. And I don't know that Derek Jeter is going to do that. Yeah, well, and in this day and age of Maybe the man- compromise is three. But in this day and age, too, of managers and who gets paid and who doesn't, yep. uh, you have to wonder what the Marlins' thinking is on that. No question about it. All right. Jim Henneman going to join us in just a couple minutes. Uh, Craig, uh, let's re- do a little bit of a reset here um, and talk a little bit. Has has what's ha- After the kind of offseason we've had, and we still have Dallas Keuchel, and we still have Craig Kimbrell out there. Did it surprise you over the last two and a half weeks just how much money has been thrown around? And when I say thrown around, I mean it's thoughtful money. I'm not talking about Machado and Harper. I'm talking about all that came after that with this spate of extensions we've had. Yeah, to to a degree, and I'm still shocked that Kimbrell's still out there. I mean, I'm I'm of the belief that – you know, and, and you're talking to a guy who used to watch him with the Braves when he was really, really lights good. out. Right. right. Uh, I don't think that's been the case, you know, even though his numbers dictate. His in-season numbers are pretty good. His, his in-season numbers are very good, but, I mean, there are certain situations where you watched him with the Red Sox and you said, you know, he can be had. You know, if, if, if he has a little bit of his control issues, which he's been known to have, uh, gets a couple guys on base. I think his sitting out there is a byproduct of ego and poor career advice from his agent. Could uh, be. I mean, they set that mar- market of six years, $100 million. Do they look seriously, you kid, all kidding around about fantasy baseball. Fantasy baseball players know year in and year out, we're constantly looking. There might be three or four in a league that are stable. But you're constantly looking, well, who's going to be their closer after this guy burns out? Right. You know, did they really think somebody was going to walk in and say, hey, that's just what I want to spend $100 million on 
is a 33-year-old guy who's going to be 38 when this contract Well, and that's where you get back to the, uh, number one, the contract's being delved out nowadays, but number two, some bad advice, I think, from his agent and maybe some ego going on there. Yeah, And, and it's almost like real estate, Craig. You insult people. In other words, when they go shopping for a house, if you look at this house from the outside and you go, that house is worth $400,000. You know, I'd pay that for it. And you look at the price tag, and it's a million. You don't go to that house to right. talk to the owners about it. Exactly. I think they cut off like half of them. And it wasn't like he had a market of 30 potential teams. He probably had a market of five or six teams that might have thought seriously about adding him. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question about it. And when you when you look at him being out there – and some of the other free agents that still haven't signed. Oh, by the way, did you see Adam Jones in a home run yesterday? I, did. I, I think he drove in four runs also. Right, and he was hitting leadoff, too. Yes. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if Tori Livolo uh, ends up batting him leadoff yeah, in that order. It could be. I wish Adam nothing but the best. Oh, no day. question about it. And, and Manny, too. I mean, I think this is, you know, I, I think Manny landed in a really good spot because – it's an up-and-coming team with a good farm system, and the fact that he's not going to have a whole bunch of pressure on him in a market or in a city where you know there's going to be a lot of scrutiny and a lot of pressure on him. Like, for instance, I think Bryce Harper has a lot of pressure right. on Philadelphia him. Is, Philadelphia is a very pressure-packed situation. The only thing I question about Manny is will will three years from now will we be looking at that contract sort of like Robinson Cano? You know, in other words, when Cano went to Seattle, yeah, we know he took the biggest contract, but it was also supposedly Jack Zarenzek was the GM then. It was like, hey, come join a rebuilding. You know, we're we're going to be really good once we mm-hmm. get you. Could could you know for all the talk about how good AJ Preller is, or is that his name? AJ AJ yeah. Preller. Uh, has he really produced anything? Remember when he took over San Diego and he acquired Kimbrel and he made two or three big moves and everybody said, wow, this yeah. guy's a genius. But again, it's all going to boil down to how they pitch. And in that ballpark, uh, not the the friendliest hitter's ballpark, but I don't think that's matter. I don't think that's going to matter with Manny. Uh uh, you know, they, they did a stat comparison, and here we are talking stats again, but they did a stat comparison that all of Manny's home runs last year would have been home runs at Petco Park. Okay. No matter. Yeah, when he hits them, they're, yeah. they're generally hit. There's no question yeah. about it. Uh, but uh, those are two big-name Orioles in Adam Jones and Manny Machado who will be playing elsewhere. Yeah, and season. I'm interested to see – what Jonathan Scope does with the Twins, and Mel brought that up a little bit. Just the fact that, you know, new situation, he's going to be the guy at second base. Let's see if that doesn't calm him down a little bit because I think I think he pressed a whole lot here his last year, and I'm, I'm interested to see what happens now. You know, one thing not to be overlooked is that Nelson Cruz is going to be in that locker room. And yep. I'm sure Nelson helped uh, Jonathan a little bit through some tough early times. Yeah, I'm sure he did too. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, here, here Nelson Cruz is approaching, what, 38 now, maybe 39? Yep. And he's still banging the baseball and hitting it out of the park. So. Why don't you introduce our guest? Mr. Jim Henneman, uh, 
former Orioles beat writer for the Baltimore Sun. He is uh, a columnist here at Press Box and, and also the official scorer out at uh, Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Jim, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Pasty. Stan, how are you? Uh, we're doing good, Jim. Uh, excited that the season is nearly upon us. Uh, before we talk about the real reason that I wanted to have you on this week, uh, which is Frank Robinson, we just got into a little conversation about Jonathan Scope. What kind of season are you looking for from Jonathan out there in Minnesota? Well, it's kind of hard to, to predict that based on the way he he finished up, but I would expect that he would bounce back from the, the Milwaukee experience. I just... Uh, from the distance, I just felt like he, he just wasn't prepared. I don't think he ever thought he was a part of the, of the makeover. I just don't think he adapted too well. Yeah. Uh, I really haven't seen the spring, so I don't really know how much been going on uh, with him down there. But, you know, I would expect to, you know, you know hit, hit a few home runs, hit 250-plus, 260 maybe, 20-25 home runs, and good defense. All so, right. Well, Jim, the reason we wanted to have you on, you wrote a great piece in the uh, February edition with Joe Flacco on the cover. You wrote a great piece, a tribute to Frank Robinson, and it's been six, seven weeks since his passing. Um, your reflections on on it now and the impact he had, which we did this follow-up piece this week, Jim, online, which was the responses you got from a lot of people in the world of baseball. Well, you know, I, I just kind of thought, you know, thinking about it. I mean, number one, even though even though we knew Frank wasn't doing well, um, you know, you're never really quite prepared to, to you know, to try to summarize a guy's career in, in 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 situations like that. So, you know, it's kind of what comes off your head first, and you, you kind of try to put it together, try to make how that makes some sense. Um, not really knowing if you're. You know, you, you have any order to what you're what you're putting together or not? Um, and uh, when, when it was when it was all over, I mean, as you remember, that, that was right around our print deadline. And uh, you know, after it was over, I mean, I was satisfied with the piece, didn't? But you know, I I didn't really feel like that I did his career justice. But in thinking back on it, you know, I'm not so sure that that was really possible anyhow. And but I, I do think that the 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 feedback to me or the feeling that I got later was especially when I saw some quick responses from people like Jim Joyce who was a former umpire and, and several other, you know, you know, the Dave Tremblay and a couple other mm-hmm. executives and all. I, I thought, you know, I really wonder if, uh, if Frank ever really knew. I mean, you know, Frank, you know, he had that hard shell. He wasn't, you know, it wasn't the easiest in, in the world to crack sometimes. And, uh, you know, I, I think we all understood how he adapted to Baltimore and Baltimore adapted to him. But I, but I, I just started to think about, you know, I wonder if he really realized, uh, you know, the impact that he had on a lot of different people. So I guess that was a little bit the reason for the follow-up thing. I don't know, maybe that was an ego trip or something. But I just no, it, was, was, it wasn't. It was, it, was, it was an interesting show of respect yeah. for the job you did, but more importantly, the man that you profiled you know and i think it was uh i think both pieces were really beautiful and touching uh to get to get responses from like murray cook and you know people throughout the game uh was genuinely well that was yeah that that was the thing that kind of struck me uh uh you know that it was uh so i in that in that regard i thought it was uh 
I thought it was good to follow up with it from from that standpoint. And I, and you know you know the interesting thing is even though even though I knew Frank from the very beginning, I didn't cover his first spring training, but I but I did cover from his first game on for a couple of years. But you know for really for the height of his the, his career, really uh, I was with the Bullets, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know for the, for those middle years, and and I really got to know him uh, maybe because I wasn't a writer anymore for a period of time. <laughs> Uh, but you know, as, as as you know, I mean, he was a, he was a big fan of all sports, and he was a big basketball fan. And uh, so, anytime he was in town, uh, you know, I I knew that he would be at, he would be at the games when we were home. Boy, did he and, love uh, did he love the Lakers? Oh, oh yeah, I'm sure, yes, he did. Yes, he did. And one of the actually the the first time I saw him after the trade was uh, was in L.A. And I don't remember whether I don't remember whether that happened to be the year that the All Star game was there or whether it was just a Laker game. But uh, that was the first time I saw him after the trade. I do remember that. Either covering him as a player or when he managed a team here, did you ever get the Frank stare? Oh, I'm sure I did. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe some days I wasn't even aware of it, but um, I certainly see it a few times. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure I did. You know, I'm, I'm sure there's all you know everybody. Everybody has everybody has one of those. Why would you ask a question like that? Yeah, you know, everybody's got one or two of those in them. So I'm sure I had more than my share of them, especially when he was more so when he was managing. Jim, um, Jim, what was the impact that you think Earl Weaver had on Frank? The fact that they their their careers intersected. You know, that, that's really kind of interesting because uh, obviously Frank was Frank was well established. As as a player before Earl ever got on the scene, sure. So, um, and, and that you know that transition it did seem to me was pretty seamless. I mean, uh, 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 I mean Earl at the time was the youngest manager in the game. Frank was uh, you know one of was one of the more established stars in the game. Um, so I would say that it would behoove the youngest manager in the game to find a way to get along good with one of the best players in the game. So. And I think Earl was good at that. You know, I think uh, uh, in, in his in, in the later years of some of the, those careers, he often uh, confided that the toughest part of his job, the thing that he detested the most, was uh, pinch hitting for a Brooks or, or taking yeah. a Lee May out of the lineup or stuff like that. He he did not like that part of the game at all. So I think I think for him it was an easy transition, and uh, and I do know that that it wasn't long after you know he took over the job that Frank. Uh, you know, approach him about going to Puerto Rico, and that was that was a part of his career. That the, the response that I got from most people nobody people remembered didn't, didn't that. Realize. Yeah. Nobody remembered but, that and he not, managed. Not just, yeah. not just that he did it, but that he did it for so long. How many years that, did he manage in the Puerto he, Rico? He managed there, and I, I really did not know. I had it took me. Uh, it was very hard to, uh, to you know, going back to the things to find out exactly how many years he had managed in there, but. Uh, you know, somewhere along in a family records that he had managed down there five years. Yeah. And they, now he didn't do it immediately right from, from me because, I mean, like Doug played for him in the in the mid-70s. So, I mean, he was down there for a good while. He won a couple uh, championships down there. Yeah, yeah. We're talking, he's still a player. We're talking with Jim Henneman, who wrote a beautiful tribute piece to Frank Robinson in the February issue of Press Box with Joe Flacco on the cover. 
and then followed it up with an online piece that people can read at pressboxonline.com. Look under the columnist, and then you'll see Jim Henneman. Click on it. It's a, and it's, and Jim, you used the term, well, maybe it was an ego thing that you wanted to write that. It was just a great follow-up because it really uh, was very touching again. I wanted to go back to basketball for one second. I don't recall this, and I used to, my uncle, uh, who passed away a long, long time ago, used to have second-row seats. I was a ball boy for the 65 Bullets when Mike Farmer was the coach uh, for seven games or six games. Yeah, very briefly. Yep, and then, but I, and then when they got good again, uh, Frank was an Oriole player during that time. When Unseldon, Monroe, and Gus were really in their prime, was he down there much? I know he went back to L.A. during the off-seasons. Right, but, yeah. but did he come down and periodically and get to know those guys a little bit? Yes, I don't I don't know that he, I mean, he, he never was, uh, you know, to my knowledge, you, you know, he never went to the locker room or anything. Mm-hmm. He was just there. How much, uh, you know, these guys may have, have conversed uh, off the field, I really don't know. I mean, it, it's funny, you don't. Sometimes these guys develop the, the the professional athletes develop relationships with other professional athletes in ways that they they know better than we do. I mean, in other words, it, it, it's not going to be by going to a game and then, and then going to the locker room afterwards or waiting, hanging around. That it, it's it more than likely it's off the field or off the court. So yeah, my guess is that they there was a probably enough of a relationship that he got to know those guys a mm-hmm. little bit. But it wasn't like he was there every day. Yeah, I mean Palmer was there probably a lot more than he was. But right. and and so the other guys who lived in the area. But but the only I do know is that when he was in town, he was there. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know he was uh, he was a big fan. I'll and, tell you who the biggest fan was back in those days was John Sterling, who was doing a, a talk true, show yes, on WCBM. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He loved his basketball, John. Right. Yeah, we're talking yeah. with Jim Henneman, Jim. Uh, had you wanted to talk about Frank, but you've been down in uh, Sarasota for over a month. Uh, what are your What are your reflections or perceptions of what's going on down there? Well, you know, I don't. You know, I don't have. Of course, the first thing people want to know is, you know, what I, I don't really have. I don't, I can't say I have expectations. I mean, I think that you know there probably isn't going to be a prognosticator in the world that's not going to pick the Orioles to finish last in the AL East, and I certainly. I'm not going to be one to break that trend. Yep. Uh, I think it's been an interesting camp. Uh, there's some interesting. Uh, some of these players are interesting players, but you know the the makeup of the team right now, even at this late date, is still kind of up in the air. I mean, there's going to be a. We do know that you know we're going to open with three rule five guys for at least the first 17 days. I think it is that Arulo is he's got to stay before he can he can go back out, and I'm sure he will. Uh, there's some things that are that are going on uh, that I think I don't think necessarily what you see on opening day is what you're going to see on July 1st. Uh, you know, I think guys like Rogers, I think Rogers, the pitcher is going to is going to surface somehow in the in the rotation. Whether whether they're going to start him in the bullpen or start him in Norfolk, I really don't know. It doesn't look like. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I would have told you I thought he was he was a lock to make one of the. Mm-hmm. The uh, one of the rotation spots, and I, I still kind of feel like down the road he's going to be there, if for no other reason, he's going to let Tander into the mix. Yeah, and, uh, uh, it, you know, which and he's, uh, you know, one of the new cute words is is pitchability, and that's a word I a word I hear a lot uh, to describe him. So it'd be interesting to see how that works out. You know, the the Hayes, Mountcastle, Santander. You know, there are some guys that they actually have some hitting prospects. I think the problem is, 
they all seem to be playing the same position. You know, everybody everybody's a first base DH type, and and of course we know how that's playing out right now. I mean, it's it's kind of a, it's kind of a log jam, and, and to a degree, an albatross because you know you got to get you know you got to get something out of that position. Um, so I'm I'm kind of I mean I like the, the two rule five guys, but I think that the you know Martin and Jackson, I, I think that the Jackson is you know is a versatile player. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know we got to be realistic here. If, if either one of those guys hits above two fifty, it's going to be a plus. And uh, and you know I mean Joey Rickard is having another great spring, and he's still a tough read for me. Uh, but uh, you know he he does some things that you like. But let's face it, you know we just you know there's no. I was looking at the roster the other day, and there's I mean there, there's no all stars in this roster. I mean let's face it. I mean there, there's going to be one because there has to be, but. There really isn't an all-star on this roster, and and uh, and probably isn't going to be for another year or so. And uh, it's going to be a tough gauge. I mean, I you know I got my email the other day about trying to lay out ex- expectations. What would you, how would you gauge improvement? And I, I, the only thing I can think of is is that the one loss percentage of the entire organization it needs to get better. You know, and maybe that's how you judge it. Maybe you judge it on the number of prospects that that might climb into the top 100. Or the top fifty, uh, you know, maybe you judge it on on uh, how if, if minor league teams win any pennants or anything. So maybe that might be the the best gauge. It's it's going to be a tough. It's going to be a tough year. It's going to be interesting. I mean, I kind of you know I can go back. You know, we can all go back far enough to bad times, but we can't all. But I don't think any of us kind of really understands the rebuild part of it because actually there was a build, and then there was a you know there. The other times that the team went bad, it wasn't like it was torn down to start over again. That right. wasn't the case. Right. It just it just wore out. It just wore out and it started over again. Well, one thing that's got to get torn down and start over again is Chris Davis. How do you see that as the they head into this year? And can something be done where he just uh, you know can become a productive part of this lineup? Trust me. Placey, if I could answer that question, I'd be talking to Mike Elias. I'd be talking to Mike Elias real quick about a nice job because you know, I, I mean, I I'm on board with most everybody. I mean, I I think that it's a lot of that has got to be a mental approach. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, that's uh, I mean, you just don't go from 53, 47, you know, where 50 whatever home runs and and then and then you know just not produce anything. So, I mean, I still hold out some some hope that there's there's something there, but frankly, it has not shown up down here. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really hasn't. I, I mean, so. uh, Jim, I got one last question for you, and that's about a player that I'm having a hard time personally reading on whether two, three years from now we're going to be talking about the Trey Mancini from 2017 or the Trey Mancini 2018. What does this guy's career arc look like it might be to you? You know, two years, I mean, we look at it and we say one year was good, one year was bad, but you know what? Home runs were the same. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, so it's the average. And, you know, I always go back to the uh, to the thing of beating into a player's head. Hey, the difference between a 250 hitter and a 300 hitter is one hit a week. Yeah. And, uh, you know, an everyday player. I mean, that's 20, you know, that's 26 over the course yeah. of the season. Over, uh, you know, with a guy like Cedric Mullins, for instance, that might be a, that might be a bun hit here or there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not the case with Mancini. Uh, uh, you know, if, if you listen, if, if you believe in all the all the 
the exit velocity theories and stuff like that, then you go by that and you say, well, he hit in bad luck. I don't, I don't believe in bad luck. I don't, I don't, you know, I just think good hitters, good hitters hit and, yep. and, and bad hitters hit in bad luck. I mean, it's, it's just, we're, we're not good luck. I mean, uh, just because you hit a ball hard doesn't mean it's not going to be caught because, uh, you know, there, there, there just is a difference between, between a, a line drive to left and a line drive to left. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's not the it, it's not the same. So you know, with him, you know, I think this year, I, I mean, I almost and of course this is going to be a tough year to gauge him by because he'll be in the middle of a uh, of a lineup that that maybe is struggling. You know, and and he's got to be a key guy. That's not going to be an easy scenario. So you know, who knows? I mean, it may, may be down the road. And I mean, I, you know, you hate to start out talking about it like this, but yeah. You know, he's he's a possible trade chip down the road too. Yeah. Because so, we got a lot of guys in the system that are going to be playing first base, and uh, all right. Uh, you know, no matter what they what they do with Davis, I mean, I mean, they you know they got three what three years of, three years of the, left of the contract, I think. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so actually four. He's four years. Yeah, this year plus this year plus three more. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, so, Jimmy. I mean, there will definitely come a time when that'll have to be addressed. I yeah. Mean, but. Uh, I don't think there's any choice. Somebody said, well, they just, I, I think, you know, I really think Peter Schmuck in the sun, uh, I meant to tell him this, he had needed a great scenario on the Davis thing. You know, most everybody thought the Orioles are too cheap to sign him, and now they think the Orioles are too cheap to release him. And, right. <laughs> and in many cases, the same people, you know, are saying, I thought that was a great, I thought that was a great summation That's of the great, situation. That is. But, you know, you, you make an investment like that, you try to, you watch it carefully, but, you just throw it away. So uh, I just don't see that happening, at least at least not this year. So. All right. Jim Henneman, uh, you're the best, still the best. <laughs> All right. Do, we'll do we get the black and, and orange uh, tuxedo on the opening uh, day? Of course. Okay. Yeah, well, just I, wanted to make sure. Knows? Yeah, hey, listen, I get, you get to the point you don't have any of these opening days you got left in you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work <laughs> this from who knows? It might be the last one I work. So, All right. uh, you, you know. So, yeah. I'm, why, why, why change it now? Safe, no. safe travels back up here, and we'll see you on April fourth. We love you, Jim. All right, guys. Thanks. All right. There you go. The best. All right. The best. Still writes. Still writes some of the best stuff uh, out there. He yeah, really absolutely. does. He really. I want to remind everyone we are coming to you live here in studio. Uh, it's the live casino hotel studios, and, as, I, and as I said, as I said to Glenn Clark, right off beautiful I eighty three. That's right, <laughs> and we are in the live casino and hotel studios uh, every Saturday with the bat around. Tomorrow, what do we got tomorrow, Kyle? Uh, Fantasy and reality football show, KZ and myself from the live casino the live and hotel casino studios, hotel studios and then Monday through Friday, the Glenn Clark radio show. Is that also? It is also from the live. For the live Casino Hotel Hotel Studios. All right. There you go. They're beautiful studios. All right. They certainly are. Are, We're going to take a lot of work went in this. A lot of work went (laughs) there. Believe it or not, it did. It did. Um, Hey, um, the Costas Inn. Yes. Let's, go, let's run down those specials because I actually have memorized well, you know, now. Well, I'm sure I would hope so Monday, after all this time. Monday night is rib night. No, it's crab, it's crab cake, cake night. Yeah. Tuesday night is rib Thought night. Thought you said you had this <laughs> memorized. Oh. Well, a Dana Hatchery. Right, I exactly. got that after Let, Let's years. tell everybody about the Costas in it. Yeah, 40, Monday night is crab cake 4100 North Point Boulevard in Dundalk. You go Monday there. night is crab cake Right. Night. Tuesday is rib night. Wednesday, Wednesday is steak, steak night. night. That's my favorite. All right. 
Thursday is Jane's favorite, which lobster. is lobster. And you can get that either plain or you can get it stuffed with the crab imperial, and it's fabulous. I haven't uh, figured out. Prime rib. I haven't figured it out. Is it her favorite because she loves lobster or because I don't go with her on lobster uh, night? Probably a little of both, mm-hmm. I would think. Probably. Yeah, but uh, specials throughout the week. And it's just not the specials that we're talking about. But there's usually four or five specials each night on Different the menu. fish on the menu. Right, exactly. Like and you can have it all right there at the Costas Inn. Live entertainment. Uh, Wednesday, jazz night. Friday, first uh, Friday of every month, the Rat Pack's in there with Rick Oliger, uh, and a lot of live entertainment on the weekends. You know something about that Costas Inn, I wanted to say this in all sincerity. Known them for about 5 and 19, 24 years now. Mm-hmm. I bet a lot of people out there go, ah, that's that crab house they're talking about. Right. Note, when we talk about them, we always talk about the specials, that are there the they got an incredible menu it's not just a crab house and a raw bar bar. yeah and a raw bar as well and you can get uh oysters on a half shell clams on a half shell either that uh raw or steamed it's it's fabulous 4100 north point boulevard back after this visit buffalo wild wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15 minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free that's right free and with a 15 minute lunch guarantee that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious b-dubs before you gotta get back to the office buffalo wild wings white marsh owings mills and westminster wings beer sports available for dining orders at participating locations for a limited time see restaurant for details one third of crash fatalities in maryland are due to impaired driving don't be a statistic be legendary what does it mean to be legendary it means always making a plan to choose a sober driver or be one never drinking then getting behind the wheel making sure to get a ride for yourself and your friends if needed always speaking up and taking the keys from an impaired driver remember sober drivers save lives this safety message is brought to you by the maryland department of transportation visit belegendarymd.com maryland is the craziest time of year for college basketball so don't miss a minute of the madness Fridays through Sundays in March, watch your favorite teams compete for a spot in the championship on 74 feet of HD LED screens in the Sportsbook and Sports Bar at Laurel Park. With food and drink specials during games and thrilling live thoroughbred racing Friday through Sunday, there's no better place to indulge in the madness. Visit Facebook.com slash Laurel Park for details. We'll see you there. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KO from the PressBox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer. 
the the other type of football. No, no, we don't. We don't. No, never. No. Yeah, not really. Tennis. No. Nope. Rugby. Nope. No, just no. football. Just NFL football. football. College. College football. football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, press box fantasy and reality football show. Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer here from Glenn Clark Radio. Kyle, you know, I'm regularly asked by folks about how we get so many great guests on our show. Well, I, I work really hard to get some of the biggest names on with us. I know you do, and the world recognizes it, but I want to challenge you to try to get some even bigger guests on the show moving forward. Okay, who do you have in mind? Well, nothing crazy. Like, what about Tim Tebow? Uh, or, or how about Leonardo DiCaprio or, or Lady Gaga, maybe Barack Obama? Uh, you know what? I'll settle for Wilt Chamberlain. But I think he died. What? Yeah, like 20 years ago. So that's a maybe? Maybe Java Chamberlain. Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to noon at PressBoxOnline.com slash radio and Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. No one wants to talk to Java Chamberlain. If trying something new was a bad idea, many of us would still be wearing polyester. This message is brought to you by Glory Days Grill. You may know us for our great burgers and wings, but Glory Days pros mix it up with the fresh cedar plank salmon, cut in-house and grilled to perfection, or sizzling and juicy steaks, meaty ribs, we have handcrafted salads and sandwiches by our talented chefs. Change tastes good, we promise. Experience the Glory Days Grill menu in all its glory. Glory Days Grill, great food. Good sports. Right, we are back on the bat around. 11.40 is our time, uh, and we're going to be calling Bill Latson uh, momentarily. Bill is... Uh, uh, Bill oh, is oh, I already called him. He's, okay, he's on. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't, didn't watch you call him. Bill Latson is on the phone with us from MLB.com. He's our friend, and he's a good friend. At least to me, he's a good friend. Uh, are you still a good friend of Craig Heist? As always, but you know there are times when he uh, frustrates me. Well, I mean he's ruined your right, right back at you there, buddy boy. He's he's ruined your Yankees, hasn't he? Yeah, I always blame him for everything when it comes to the Yankees. Yeah, why why is that? Yeah, because he's a Yankee hater. Oh, he's a Yankee hater. Yeah, Yankee pretty hater. much. You know, he's also a Duke hater too. He hates Duke. There's a, there's a common theme of the things he hates. They're all great. Yeah, Yankees, right. Yankees, uh-huh. Duke, yeah. Yeah, when's the last time the Yankees won a World Series? What is it, 09, I think? 09. Yeah. 09. Yeah. When's the last time the Orioles or the Nats won one? Just saying. Yep. Yeah, I'm just, just saying. saying. Just saying. Okay. Just saying. Um, Bill Latson, we wanted to have you on. Uh, first of all, what's current status of your uh, pursuit of a, a new kidney? Well, I'm going to the Mayo Clinic uh, this weekend, in fact, and uh, I'm going to see if I can be put on a list uh, in uh, Rochester, Minnesota, and and that's about it. I'm just going to, you know, have uh, everything checked, and instead of having uh, a name on one list, mm-hmm. I've decided to have it more, you know, on multiple lists, so that's about it. All right. And again, your your blood type is what? O negative. O negative, which is very rare, and that's, that's one of the reasons we we sort of I hate to use the term promoted. We put it out there if somebody out there knows of somebody with uh, O negative blood that would be a, a donor. Uh, we're we're really anxious to help our friend Bill Latson, and, and we wish you well out there. How long are you going to be out at the Mayo Clinic? For two or three days? I'm going to be out. I'll be out there for a week. A and, week. Uh, I'll, I'll be I'll be back. Uh, 
by the third game between the Yankees and Orioles. Okay. Well, are you gonna? Is are the Twins opening at home? Uh, they are, but I'm not going to those games. Okay. All right. But you'll be watching. You'll be watching. Yes, I will be. All right. What do you make, uh, Bill Latson, of this? You know, the last two winners we've watched these free agent contracts take forever to get accomplished. And this year, they took forever to get accomplished. Still have two big names out on the market in Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell. And we can get into the reasons why they're still out there, which I think are mostly driven by the players' unrealistic demands. But what do you make of now the most recent, the last two weeks? It seems like every day there's one or two significant extensions of players that aren't even at the free agency period. I think you look at players who are really, really great. Yeah. I mean, you talk about Bregman, you talk about Mike Trout. I mean, those guys are, you know, have years and years to put up good numbers. So, I mean, I think the Houston Astros and the Angels respectfully see that, you know, these guys are going to have great years. And, yes, why not give them a long-term deal? I mean, we've seen, Bregman has been in the league two full seasons, and, Look what he's accomplished. He won a World Series, uh, had big hits. Trout, every, every since he's been in the league, he's either in the top three in MVP voting or he's the MVP. So I, I, I think they're deserving of those contract extensions. And, uh, you know, that's about it. Bill, with Trout, though, uh, you're, you're looking at a guy who is – noted as being the best player in the game and the money and the years don't surprise me but there are a lot of people out there who talk about is he getting the recognition with the angels and even though they're playing in la that kind of thing or down in anaheim they're always going to be second fiddle to the dodgers out there uh Uh you know and i'm just thinking whether or not you know i know bryce was talking about you know, a couple of years from now, we get him here on the Phillies, go back home, have him play in his hometown, that kind of thing. But, I mean, is he going to get the recognition and his due, do you think, playing with the Angels? I think he's already received his due. I mean, look at the MVPs he's won. Look yeah, how well, yeah. I'm, I'm not arguing that. I know he's a great player, but I'm just saying there's a lot of people out there that just feel like with him playing for the Angels, and especially if they don't improve their ball club, uh, you know, he might not get the total, you know, amount of uh, publicity, respect, the whole nine yards uh, that he may play in somewhere else in a big market. I, I listen. I, I disagree in the sense that I think he's received the recognition already. I think people already know who he is. I think it's a matter of, I think, is he going to be another Ernie Banks where? He's this great player who's never been to the World Series. So now, if he if he winds up being that player, and and he doesn't win a World Series, is he still a Hall of Fame player? Oh, there's no question about it. I mean, yeah, he's a Hall of Fame player. Well, well, no, no. My my point to this yeah, is my point to this is you know when when we talk together, you know, and have these discussions back and forth, right? And and. Bill will tell me or give me an example of a Hall of Fame. And I say, you know, you might as well just say Ernie Banks isn't a Hall of Fame player right, then. Right, right, You know, because he, he 512 home runs, you know, and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. 
And and Bill thinks that because he said let's play two, that meant yeah, let's go out and lose two today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but you you know I gotta tell you though I think uh, Mike Trout uh, you know has received the recognition. I think people know who he is. I just think it's a matter of if he wants to become let's say the Michael Jordan of baseball. I mean, he's going to have to win a, uh, a champion, a World Series, where you know you, it'll be tough to interview him. You know, stuff like that. So, I, I think uh, Trout. Everyone know knows who he is, but yeah, I mean, it'd be nice to get that World Series. And, and it seems like they have the farm system to get it done. Will it be this year? I don't know, but I mean, I think it'll happen. So, when I asked you the question, you answered it based on Trout. Arenado, Bregman. Those are, of right. course, players that we would expect. But what about the extensions suddenly for Brandon Lowe, Eloy Jimenez? I mean, the White Sox committing, what, about $75 million to a guy who has not batted in a big league game. That's pretty staggering, isn't it, Bill? Yeah, but, but you know what, though? I think now, the goes to show you how much this game has changed. I think now by him and his getting this contract, I think it's based on analytics. It's not based on the um, the naked eye on scouts. I think they think that they see a guy, based on analytics, who's going to really perform for them for the next few years. So I, I think analytics has a lot to do with it also. I mean, interesting. I, I think it's not based on what we see with the naked eye anymore. That is, that's very interesting, very interesting, because from my, my way, from where my angle, I remember, you remember when the Astros about five years ago, six years ago, signed John Singleton to a contract for, I think it was about $10.5 million, right. and I'll never forget Big Bad Bud Norris popped off saying, oh, he left so much money on the table, who's giving him advice, and this was a guy that clearly... Remember, he's a guy that uses marijuana quite a bit, and I'm not saying that's bad, but he wasn't driven to be a great baseball player, and he never was, but yet he was able to bank $10 million. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, though, uh, I just think that, uh, you know, I, I just think, you know, today analytics plays a big part in why a lot of these players now are getting extensions because they they're looking into the future. I mean, I mean, the Yankees have been talking about it for years now. It looks like they gave Aaron Hicks a long term deal, and Aaron Hicks. I, I must say that my eyes were raised when Aaron Hicks was given that contract, but I, I don't think it has anything to do with the scouting eye. I think it has to do with analytics. They see what he can do. Uh, for a long period of time, and that's why a guy like Aaron Hicks, for example, got their long-term deal. Bill, let me ask you this. Uh, we are we were talking with Mel Anton <laughs> earlier. Uh, do you think that uh, the National League East is the best division in baseball this year heading into it? I would say so without a doubt. Um, I just think that, uh, you know, the Phillies are going to be tough, the Mets, Braves, Nationals, of course. Of exception of the Marlins, although the Marlins are having a great spring training, um, it's not going to be very easy. And uh, you got to say the Phillies are, are the best team. 
Well, I mean, from a pitching standpoint, would you give the edge to the Nationals over the Phillies? Because I still think the Phillies need some work with their rotation. Yeah, yeah I would give it to the Nationals, but I, I just think that uh, Bryce Harper has improved that team in a big way. And, uh, you know, again, we have to wait and see. I, you know, if you look at all five teams in the National East, they are question marks no matter how you look at it. So it's just the best team that comes out of it uh, will win that division. I still say right now the Phillies are the favorite. All right. Uh, what do you think? <laughs> what do you think in terms of uh, the Central Division? Because a lot of people think that you know the the National League East and the National League Central are probably going to vie for being the two toughest divisions in baseball. Um. Say that again, Craig. I'm sorry. No, I said I said that. What about the NL Central in that regard? A lot of people are putting, and we were talking with Mel Antonin earlier about this. A lot of people think that, you know, the the Central could pretty much rival the East as far as the competitiveness. Yeah, Central. I mean, could be tough. I mean, uh, you know, the Reds are really uh, going to be good this year. So, I mean, I actually picked the Reds uh, to win the division. Believe it or not. Wow. And, uh, yeah. So I think the the Reds have improved. I think they improved their pitching. Um, I think the you know the hitting has always been there. All right. Uh, I just, I just think it's a matter of you know staying healthy. You are heading out to uh, Minnesota then uh, this week, right? Yes, I am. And uh, what are you what are you hoping, Bill? Uh, in, in conversations with doctors, what are you hoping uh, comes out of this? I'm hoping that uh, they can help me find a kidney. I mean, my blood type is rare, and uh, it's just a matter of being put in, put on another list. And uh, I was going to say, is this just about kind of speeding up the process? What you and I were talking about earlier? Yes, it is speeding up the process, and uh, you know, it's been you know frustrating at times. But you know, I have to keep a positive attitude, and uh, as long as I do that, and uh, I'll be okay. Well, you've, well certainly, let me, let you've me, certainly done yeah, that. You, you have an amazing attitude about this thing, and I think it's great that you're, you're kind of crossing all the T's, dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's on your efforts to find a new kidney. Uh, and we wish you, you know, we, you're in our prayers all the time, Bill. We appreciate your being part of the show, and uh, we think you're a terrific, terrific writer. All right? Thank you. I appreciate it. Your your taste in friends is a little well, suspect, yeah. but you know we'll get past yeah, pe- that. People question me too. So, <laughs> hey, hey, last thing I got for you because I do know you follow the Yankees. I got my baseball draft tomorrow, tomorrow morning. Uh, Yankees don't have a starting rotation that features a Chris Sale or a Kluber or a Bauer or a Verlander. But it's pretty darn good if Severino's healthy. But right now, as the season's about to begin, only three of their five projected starters are healthy. Who's going to fill out the rotation the first three weeks of the season, four weeks? Is it going to be Sessa and German or Sessa and Loisiga? I think it's Loisiga and uh, Sessa. Okay. And um, I don't think... uh German's going to make it. Uh, he could. I don't know. But, you know, it's still, we've got a week to go, so so we'll see. But, uh, I mean, it's going to be tough. It's, I mean, the Yankees, you know, they have an easy schedule to start the season. Yeah, if, they don't go, if they don't go 8-0, I 
I mean, that'll be that'll be tough, man. I mean, they should go undefeated. I mean, they face the Orioles and they face the Tigers. That's an easy schedule. Well, so, certainly uh, not the greatest pitching in the world. Do you see any way Sessa can cement in the three, four weeks? Could he cement a rotation spot? He could. I mean, you just never know, though. I mean, uh, I mean, like if you're a Yankee, you know, it's it's like you gotta get off to a great start. You can't be mediocre. You gotta be good from the very beginning. So we'll see. We'll see. I. I you know, I hope so, but you just don't know. All right. Well, listen, we greatly appreciate your coming on. We wish you the best of luck out in Rochester, Minnesota, at the Mayo Clinic, and we'll ha- we'll talk to you in the next couple weeks. All keep, right. Keep me posted. You got it. All right. Keep us posted, it. Bill. Thanks. All right. That's it. So that's. Uh, do we need another? Did think- we do our three breaks? Do we, need no, do we need another break? Yes, we, we do. We do need another break. Well, we're going to take it right now. I knew, I knew we had done our live spots, though, right? because we'd done two Costas in. We'll pay a couple more bills, and then we'll say goodbye. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. Section 336 here with all your Baltimore sports talk. The Raven season is now done, but the Orioles season is just ahead. We have a new GM. We have a new manager. We have a few new baseball players out there. Reason for optimism. I don't know if you can name any of those new players, and I think we won 40-some games last year. Yeah, but I remember a terrible year in 1988 where we were able to turn it around the very next year in 1989. Why not 2019? Why yeah, not? why not? Why not check out Section 336 at Section336.com, Facebook, or on Twitter and iTunes as well. Just search for Section 336. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Stan the Fan Charles sits down with new Orioles general manager Mike Elias to discuss the plan for guiding the franchise back to prominence. Plus, Hopkins legend Paul Rabel details his vision for how the PLL can be a game changer for pro lacrosse. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. The Glory Days Grill-to-Go menu is based on a simple reality. You can't spend your whole life at Glory Days Grill. Your boss wouldn't like it, and neither would your kids or your dog. So come to Glory Days and get your food to go. On your way to soccer practice, or to the office, or to, well, wherever. We know the hardest part of visiting Glory Days Grill is leaving. But at least you take a little piece of us wherever you go. Glory Days Grill. 
Great food, good sports. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square is very, very popular, as you've undoubtedly noticed if you've been there recently. Want to skip the lines completely? Download the Chick-fil-A app, and your food will be ready when you get there, but not a minute sooner. Your hot, fresh waffle fries, fresh, never-frozen chicken, and ice-cold drinks will be delivered to you when you get there. They'll bring it out to your car, or you can come in and get it without standing in line. Plus, ordering through the Chick-fil-A app earns you reward points that will add up the free stuff. And the app remembers what you like. So if you like extra pickles, then the app remembers. If you prefer less ice in your drink, the app remembers. Anytime you customize your order, the Chick-fil-A app will file it away and remember for your next visit. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard. If you need help downloading the app, ask the Nottingham Square store owner, Steve. Steve can do anything. Chick-fil-A, get the app, skip the lines. We are back on the battle round. I want to remind you that that new edition of uh, the Press Box Print Edition is out at over 500 locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. We know you just heard this, but uh, enjoy uh, my sit-down with Orioles General Manager Mike Elias uh, to discuss the plan for guiding the franchise back to prominence. That's the Press Box Print Edition, uh, and you can access it all uh, at uh, the website, PressBoxOnline.com. We've been broadcasting for the last two hours from the live casino and hotel studios uh, right here in lovely downtown Hamden. Craig, uh, I'm getting ready to... I'm going to watch the first half of the Maryland game right here in my office. All right. Sounds good to me. You uh, join me? Uh, we can do that. Uh, but I, I got some errands to run, and I got a Wizards game to cover tonight. So. All right. Well, just maybe the first five minutes. I'd like to hang... Hello. I'd like to hang with My you. My bad. I'd like to hang with you. <laughs> All right. Yeah. You All buying right. lunch? <laughs> no. No. All right. Well, then. <laughs> well, well, actually. Well, looks like Kyle will be listening to Johnny and Chris <laughs> on the way home. <laughs> All right. Listen, we appreciate you listening tomorrow from the live casino and hotel studios. Kyle Ottenheimer along with uh, the, the wizard himself, Ken Zalas. All right. With the Fantasy and Reality Football Show, Monday through Friday, Glenn Clark Radio, 10 to 12. Uh, right here and don't forget when you watch one of our shows on facebook live please like it and share it it really helps we'll see you next week